When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Turn up the radio and sing along. It's time for another great song. This is the Great Song Podcast. Seasons greetings and welcome once again to the Great Song Podcast. I'm Rob Alley. And I am JP Mosier. And we're here celebrating the greatest songs in modern music history. We're going to tell you what makes them great, why we think they're awesome, and why you should too. JP, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing fantastic. I got a phone call on the way here um, from a dad and he was like, I'm doing this crossword puzzle. He's like, uh, I need, it's um, A Young uh, Band, four letters, A <laughs> Young. Can you help me? And I was like, maybe ACDC. He's like, that's perfect. Thank you. ACDC. That's it. So then I got to thinking if I'm, when I'm an older guy yeah. and I'm sitting there, my dad does crossword puzzles out of the paper, still does it. What's your game? Do you do like word searches? Do you do crossword puzzles? You um, now, my wife is a is a word puzzle master. Yeah. She does crosswords, uh, any of the stuff where like you scrap Sudoku type stuff. or anything like that? She, yeah, she does that stuff too. She's just a, a thinker. She's just one of your great thinkers. Me, not so much. I'm like, I don't know what my game like that is really. I, and I thought about this would be a good seg- segue in because this is kind of a dad song. Right. Oh, yeah. Reeling in them years. Yes. We're talking about Reeling in the Years by Steely, Steely Dan. Dan. It's a dad song from a dad band. From a dad band. Dad gummit. Uh, here we Let's go. Let's take a listen. Have a gander. It's a dad bass line. Do, 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 do. <laughs> every song we do but there is something special about steely dan rob's a big steely dan fan. i'm a big steely dan guy and this was the first song of theirs that i fell in love with um i didn't listen to steely dan at all until i was in my mid-20s uh i don't know about you it's probably about the same uh early 20 i was listening i listened to him a little bit in college so Late teens, early 20s is when I kind of discovered him. Okay. So, and like my dad had a Steely Dan live CD called okay. uh, Alive in America. Okay. And we'll talk about Steely Dan live is kind of a rare thing to begin sure. with. Um, so, and he, he, he had it, you know, from the time it came out probably. Um, but I think it was a like a Columbia uh, record club kind of thing. Oh, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Got. So I don't really know if he was a big Steely Dan fan or not. But he had this really like the Tom Life collection, and that's the one that they send you. Exactly, yeah. Because I think it might have even stayed in the wrapper. And so eventually I was like, okay, well, I'm going to take this and listen to it. I just always assume, assume that Steely, Band, Steely Dan was something I just wouldn't like. I don't know what I thought they were. Mm-hmm. I thought maybe it was like, I don't know. I didn't know what I was expecting. But what I got blew my mind immediately. Like, from the very first, like, 
10 seconds into the first song, I went, oh, these are my kind of dudes. Yeah. Like, it was the, uh, actually, that album opens with, let me let me look it up real quick. Oh, that, I can tell you the album. That's got Do It Again on the beginning? No, it? no, no. This one, Alive in America opens with. Oh, Alive in America. Okay. Yeah. It opens I with. I thought you meant uh, this was on. It, uh, it opens with uh, Babylon Sisters. Okay. And from the opening notes, let me just let you hear Rock it this. it out. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, that's tasty. Oh, I was immediately... That chord change. Don't mess around there, Donald. That groove. Oh, Uh, my goodness. Immediately, I was like, I don't really care what is on the rest of this i know i'm gonna love this band and sure enough man since then i've listened to just a ton of steely dan especially that live album though like their music it's funny steely dan is famously a studio focused band and we'll talk more about it in a while but man that live record gets me going like very few others do um this is from the studio album 1972's can't buy a thrill it was steely dan's debut album um and and has several of the songs of theirs that you might know um one of them being do, do it, it again. again i love do it again and that's that, what, that's my favorite steely dan song yeah so that's my one and that's the one to me of their hits that feels like the most it like even after i listened to steely dan for a while i didn't know that was them oh yeah like for some reason that one feels but just so the listener know what song we're talking about yeah, this I, is another one of their hits it's called do it again by steely dan rob will play a little bit of it yeah, absolutely we could have easily done an episode on do it again so yeah that is some uh that's that's another one that is that's a solid like I don't know exactly what kind of groove you call that, but uh, it's kind of a, it's almost Latin, you know, whatever. Um, Steely Dan just is a different kind of rock band. To call them a rock band isn't really even fair. Like, I don't know what other category you put them in, though. Yeah, if if you went to the, if you went to the record store back in the day, I imagine you would find them in the rock section. Yeah. You wouldn't find them in the jazz world. Section. <laughs> yes. In the world music. That's right. Um, but I, I don't, I don't think rock quite categorizes them fairly, but I don't know, I guess pop, but even then part of their whole, they're dis- really smart. Like they're fairly. really smart. Like really too smart Mm -hmm. (laughs) like musically they're like super well read and they you know use all these obscure references part of their whole thing is to um uh be sort of counterculture to traditional pop sensibility and and the things that you expect from pop music they intentionally went out of their way to subvert Mm -hmm. and um so whatever you call that they're like anti-rock you know what i mean in the the way that like you call the punisher an anti-hero he does heroic things but in doing so does bad things you know what i mean he kills people for the common good yeah steely dan is anti-rock they accomplish killing rock for the good of music (laughs) exactly (laughs) exactly uh so i think that's but they're gonna show they're gonna be like we can do rock yeah we can rock as rock as rock can be yeah but we're just above that we're just better than that exactly uh, they're so good. I don't really know how to explain it other than just to say, listen to some Steely Dan. You you probably heard, like you said, do it again. You probably, don't, you probably know Ricky Don't Lose That Number. Absolutely. I'd say that's probably their biggest hit, wouldn't you? Really? Maybe. I would think. No, I think Ricky this, Don't Lose. I think Reeling in the Years. Probably, in the years now, maybe commercially there's a okay. conversation to be had. Either do it again or Ricky Don't Lose That Number. Maybe so. You, but I think they're probably their most well-known is Reeling in the Years. I heard that Ricky Don't Lose That Number almost got destroyed because the master tape got a big glob of mustard oh no it. yeah almost, oh no almost ruined by mustard ricky don't lose that mustard ah, hey. yeah. anyway so anyway let's talk a little bit about uh uh the the artist steely dan not necessarily the band we'll okay. get to the band but the um the name steely dan comes from the william burroughs novel naked lunch um and good taste kind of prevents us from telling you much more than that sure. um it's kind of a it's kind of a salacious uh backstory but um donald fagan who is one of the members of the band uh um, lead lead singer and, and keyboardist said we had to come up with a name in a hurry and walter and i that would be walter becker uh r.i.p 
Walter and I were both Burroughs fans, though he was not known at the time. It was an in-joke, who's going to know what Steely Dan was? And we figured that, like most of our bands in the past, it would fall apart after three months anyway, <laughs> so we didn't think much about it. Um, and so they, they came up with this name that has kind of a, kind of an odd backstory and um, and just went with it. But it stuck. I'm sorry. And it, here hey, they are 40 years later. There you go. Stuck with still it. Still Steely Dan. Uh, so, yeah. Um, so I said that they were kind of a... Um, an oddity in the rock pop world of the seventies. And that's really was their heyday. Sure. Uh, although they did win a Grammy in 2000 for their return, they disappeared for a long time, came back, recorded another album in 2000 or 2001, uh, two against nature and won an album of the year Grammy for it, which I feel like is almost like a welcome back award in that case. Yeah. Like the, the, I mean, it's a great album. Don't but- get me wrong. But I feel like the every, the like Academy, the it's Grammys. It's a nod, like thank yes, you. Yes, exactly. It's a hat tip. Thank you. We wanted this so badly. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but it's a fantastic album. I love it. And it's got some of the cleanest drum and guitar sounds on it. Oh, my goodness. Just so clean. Um, but uh, so Walter Becker, who was uh, bassist, guitarist um, for, for Steely Dan, talked a little bit about the oddity of being alternative as a jazz-influenced act. Uh, he said, quote, the, quote, anarchists or people who are interested in more interesting lyrics are, generally speaking, not interested in jazz harmonies. They want something more raw and what they perceive to be subversive sounding, which usually means clanging guitars. So in other words, your your counterculture people who were who were, who were interested in, you know, the edgier lyrics and that kind of thing were usually your like heavier rockers yeah. is what he's saying. And he says, and it was just a quirk of Donald's and my natures that we thought superimposing jazz harmonies on pop songs was subversive in a much subtler way. But I guess most people who are writing music and songs don't really look at it that way, luckily for us. So they kind of found this jazz influence, this jazz like superimposition on rock music as their way of being the Ramones. You know oh, I mean? yeah. Like that's, this is this is jazz punk. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Jazz <laughs> jazz punk. Yes. This is the jazz sex pistols. Yeah. You know. Um so I just think that's really neat. And it really like name somebody else who's done that. Yeah, I can't think to the degree that they have n- nobody has done it to the to that degree and as successfully. You know, sure. you think about famous jazz influence acts they would lend themselves more toward probably R and B or even funk. You know what I mean? That's where you're going to find that jazz influence to find that over rock beats and grooves and styles is almost totally unique to Steely Dan. If there's somebody out there that is doing it in the same, to the same degree or close to the same degree that Steely Dan is doing it. I don't know about it. And I want to. So sure. if you're listening and you know who that is, uh, send us a tweet. The at whole, if on you Pod. like Steely Dan, you will like exactly. in, insert. We're, we're open to listen. Yeah, to. exactly. Exactly. Um, of course, now Thin Lizzy did come along and really just <laughs> rip the garbage out of this song. Uh, but we might talk about that later. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, we got I got some co- I got a cover cover section. Yeah, we can get to. Yeah, right. absolutely. I'll absolutely. So we'll, we'll revisit that. They they talk about and I don't know if I have a quote here from them, but they. Uh, I got into a lot of good interview material with them in in finding, you know, in researching the song. They talked about, um, they said that, you know, most most of their songs don't really, they didn't feel like lend themselves to covers because it was so them. different and unique. Yeah, it's like, they in other, they they started off as writers for um, a, a writing company, a, a, a publishing company. And, you know, they were trying to write like, okay, let's write a pop song for, some particular artist or some particular mm-hmm. style. Um, and it kind of soon became clear to them that what they did best was they could really write something for them. That mm-hmm. was this way. Cause you know, the regular pop music, regular rock. You don't music, really want to pitch a jazz and jazz fusion song to a pop artist. Right. Cause they're not going to get it. Yeah, like, exactly. They may not get it. They may not like it. They may not, you know, whatever, who cares? And then all of a sudden, you know, your publishing deal is out the window. So, they form Steely Dan and start kind of doing this stuff um, on their own and become legends, uh, you know, to this day. Um, uh, Walter Becker said, we thought the predicament in which popular music found itself in the middle 60s rather amusing. And we tried to wring some humor out of the whole mess. We mixed 
TV style commercial arranging cliches with mercy beats assigned nasty sounding, heavily amplified guitars to play Ravel like chords, Ravel, uh, famous, uh, classical composer, the fairly standardized rock instrumentation of the original group added to the skitzy effect. We never tried to compete with the fine songwriters of the era, Goffin and King, Lennon and McCartney. Uh, we were after a theatrical effect, the friction produced by the mix of music and lyrics, the irony. I think irony really That's sums good, up I like that. lyrically and musically irony. Mm-hmm. I mean, heavy, thick, acerbic irony. Spinal tap. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, did we talk, uh, we, we were touching a little bit on the album. Um, it was number 240 is what I got on Rolling Stones 500. Is yeah. that what you pulled up? Yep. Just ahead of the replacements. Actually, no. Uh, or do you have it as One of us has an updated list. I've got, I've got it as 238. It's 240. Okay. I have the updated They've list. They've updated Because okay. the Wikipedia is wrong. Okay. It says it's 238, but they, I've got the updated list where gotcha. it says it's 240. Okay. I have it sandwiched between... Uh, the replacements, let it be, and the Madonna, like a prayer. Like a prayer. Yeah, that's what I have. It's funny. That's all, that's what it was sandwiched between it at, at uh, really? at two thirty eight. Yeah, also Weird. so interesting. Maybe the whole list moved. May yeah, I mean you could have just shifted. Could have just if shifted. you know a couple that makes of, sense if some t- if two jump it right. If if yeah. a, if a newer album comes in and jumps underneath it, then yeah. Um, about this song, I heard a quote from Donald Fagan. He said, "It's dumb but effective." I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. It's, it's the band's least favorite song. This one is their least favorite. It's the one that really? they don't like to play live as much as any of the others. But interesting. Um, but yeah, um, I actually I prefer the live version, and maybe we'll talk about that when we talk about covers. Okay. Um, I feel like the live version. Well, let's just do does covers. a couple things. Let's okay. Just, let's roll into that. Okay. So there's a there's a I've got a couple of uh, covers. One of which is just a hoot, just a hilarious hoot. I have the best one. I don't care okay. what you pick. I have the best one. Okay. And all we're right. going to listen to it. I'll go with mine and then you give me the best one. Okay. Uh, this is a cover from the Osmond, uh, Donnie and Marie Osmond okay. show. Have you, yeah. did you see no, this? I did not see this. Okay. Donnie and Marie Osmond, uh, used reeling in the years to open up, uh, an episode of their variety show. And it's, it's like seven minutes long. Okay. Uh, and they, obviously we're not gonna play all of it. Uh, but it's um, it during it they introduce their guests for the evening and there's like a a uh, what do you call it? it? There's a group of ice skaters who they're like the Rockettes but they ice skate <laughs> and they come out and they're doing this whole big production. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this Look is for the, the Osmond show. This is the yes the Osmond show. So this is the Donnie and Marie Osmond version of Reeling in the Years. Your everlasting summer, you can see it fading fast. No. Ah! Donnie and Marie. No, How about that? Not shy. Okay, I'm going to play mine. <laughs> they're okay. not shy. They're not shy. That whole subtlety thing that yeah. uh, that Donald Fagan was talking about, yeah, not really elementary. present here. This is my favorite. This is. I'm just going to tell this one cover because it's my favorite. Martin Miller and Tom Quayle. Do you know who Martin Miller is? I don't. I'm so sad that you don't because we're going to take a second after hearing their version, and I want you to hear one other Martin Miller song just so you can see how he is. Martin Miller and Tom Quayle. Look him up, Reeling in the Years. I think I just introduced you to your new favorite musician. Okay. I'm going to be bold and say that because after we listen to this, I want you to hear one other Martin Miller sampling. Okay. It's Is worth it live it. in the studio? Yeah, live okay. in the studio. That's all, right. all he does That's that you would... Here we go. Let's check him out. Come here. Anyway, 
That's not bad. Full disclosure, I use that because I really want to introduce you and the listener to Martin Miller. Okay. Um, just to be real. But I'm going to show you what kind of musician he really is. He's a speed guy, but he's a jazz guy, too. Look up okay. just for 30 sec or 15 seconds. This is worth it. I promise. Look up his version of Isn't She Lovely, the Stevie, Stevie Wonder, Wonder song. This is so you can know, and I think it'll bring it full circle to your appreciation of him as a Steely Dan fan. Okay. Because you'll hear his jazz influence on here. This is really cool. Here we go. I can definitely. It dig gets it. nasty. That's it nice. Gets amazing. Yes, yeah. that that is a worthy person to cover. To Steve cover Steely Dan. Dan, exactly. Yes. That's the guy. Absolutely. He's he's jazz knowledgeable, and he probably says, "Man, that's really tasty music that yeah, they're playing exactly. underneath that." So that's the guy so to cover good. Steely Dan. Okay, my uh, my other favorite cover of this song is Steely Dan's own um, cover. Okay. Is their their live version okay. of this song, which I feel like nails a couple of things. That could have been better in the original studio okay. version. Okay. Um, particularly the end of the verse on the studio version bothers me because it's like it's like one measure too long. Um, so listen to the way. Let, let me play it again. Uh, the way that they do it studio. in the studio. So the so way you, you hear, hear it on the radio. Yeah. This is the way the 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 common ear will hear it. Correct. Well, you wouldn't even know a diamond if you held it in your so okay i've always felt like that that version has an extra the, the that that bar of nothing i don't like it uh it's like hey we finished the verse you know what i mean and i feel like the the live version corrects that let's take a listen You hear what I'm saying? Like, I feel like it. I feel like it just transitions more smoothly into the chorus. Like the groove never stops. You know, it's got this relentless, and then you have to stop it at the end of the verse. Things you think of you since I can't understand, but are you reeling in? And it just always bothered me. I feel like the live version is is better at that. I feel like they took a song and kudos to them for doing it because that's a fairly fundamental change. The way you get to the hook is. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Um, maybe that's originally what they, something that they decided, you know, he said this is one of their least favorite songs. Uh -huh. Maybe that's one of the things that they, they, they didn't changed like it. it yeah, yeah. And they went back and tweaked it a little bit. Um, you know, I wonder how many people notice a lot. I don't know if that's something that's noticeable. I mean, I, I mean, I noticed it right away, sure. be, but, and this is also maybe could be attributed to the fact that I first discovered them as a live band. Okay. So this was this album, uh, Alive in America, was my first experience with them, and I listened to it, you know, mm -hmm. fifteen times before I listened to the studio versions of most of these. Sure. So, uh, so that this is that is how I knew That's how it's this song. In your mind. And when I heard it in the studio version, I was like, "What is that? I <laughs> ooh, you know what I mean? Get that away." Why did they pause? Now, now I've I've heard it enough that I, you know I just it's fine. It is what it is. But I prefer you know the the live version from. Uh, the mid nineties. Uh, why don't we, why don't, while we're talking about live in studio, um, why don't we talk a little bit about their sort of uh, mindset on that um, in, in the origination of the band um, they, you know, got, they were like a band. They had, you know, band members and, you know, they started um, doing this and then they realized somewhere along the way they decided, I feel like Becker and Fagan are kind of ornery dudes. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like they seem like they're pretty easily um, put upon. Sure. You know? Um, so like maybe have a little bit fickle taste 
or a very specific taste. I maybe. said no croutons on my salad. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Does this look pink to you? Like, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. That's the kind of like yeah. things I feel like you get from them. Uh, you know, you, you, I'm talking about a steak. I, in my head, it makes I, sense. I, I know like, what you're talking what, about. Uh, yeah. you know, we were on the food thing. The so. shoes, this looks steak. Yeah. yeah. Uh, does this look <laughs> steak look to pink. you? Sure. I, I get what you're talking um, about. But, uh, but anyway, somewhere along the line, they decided that touring was going to be too much hassle. They didn't want to bother with touring. Uh, So they just didn't. They just started putting out studio albums. And instead of they kind of disbanded the original, not totally disbanded the original lineup, but just started bringing in studio cats instead and making their music with studio cats. And as a result, Steely Dan's lineup of musicians is off the charts. And we'll talk about it uh, here in just a second. Um, But, uh, but so they didn't, they didn't tour live at all from the mid seventies until until they quote unquote broke up in the early eighties, um, and then they didn't make another album until two thousand. Uh, they did some light touring. It appears in the nineties, at least enough to make this uh, live in America album. Um, and then since then they have toured more, but it's still sparse. To see Steely Dan in concert is. You know, the yeah. ticket prices are astronomical. I almost saw Steely Dan in concert. Why don't you tell us about so it? So we went to see Steely Dan um, at the Ascend Amphitheater in Nashville. And the show was supposed to start at 7, something like that. Storming, long story short, they postpone it, keep pushing back. It's Steely Dan and the Doobie Brothers. So I've seen the Doobie Brothers before. The Doobie they have Bro- a, a connection there. Yeah. We'll, so we'll talk about we'll, it. We'll talk about the connection there here in a minute. But... Doobie Brothers supposed to open for Steely Dan. Um, long story short, the show didn't start till like eleven thirty that or ten thirty <laughs> something like that that night. And the Doobie Brothers was the opener, who me and my wife had already seen, and she had a project due early that next morning. So I had tickets to a Steely Dan show, man, and did not get to see Steely Dan because Oof. of the weather. That's so. a bucket list concert for me. Yeah, Steely Dan is bucket list. Now, was this uh, Walter Becker passed away this, in 2017? This was post Becker. Okay, so it was so just even a few then, months ago, even then, it would have been without you know one of the founding sure. you know founding fathers of Steely Dan. Um, but yeah, to see Steely Dan is a, is kind of like a once in a blue moon opportunity. So um, still, I, I want to go. And I wonder if I mean they're a, I won't say they're a big band, but they're fairly popular. I wonder if they yeah. would have been huge if they would have toured. If they had, because they would have picked up like the era that we're talking about, like our parents' era. They would have gotten some of that, and maybe a, a little post that at shows. You know, that's if you tour more, you're obviously going to get a lot more following. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if they would have be, maybe been in an upper echelon of of bigger bands if they'd have had a touring. Maybe so. It's so funny because it, it, even to think of that, it's it's hard to think of somebody to compare them to. Like, you know, they could have been as big as Yeah, I don't know what yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like the Eagles? Chicago I mean, maybe. Chicago, okay, maybe. You could see I could see Chicago and and uh, Steely Dan doing some stuff together. Doobie Brothers and them, that makes sense. Um, you know, maybe maybe the Doobie Brothers is the closest kin to them as a band. Maybe so. That's, you know, it, n- some soul, maybe a little jazz influence in spots. Um, so maybe that's the best, maybe that's the best comparison to them. Um, Do we want to meet the band? Hey, let's meet the band. It's time to meet the band. Hey, mama, let's meet the band. Let's all We're going to meet the band of Steely Dan on the Can't Buy Thrill album on acoustic, electric pianos, organ, and, and vocals on the album. Um, Donald Fagan, son of a Jewish accountant father and a swing singing mother. Um, first album that he ever got was Rockin' and Reelin' by Chuck Berry, um, which was at the age of 11. He then went to the Newport Jazz Festival and became what he called himself as a jazz snob. I know we've talked a lot about jazz. But Makes sense. Yeah, you can, you can see it. <laughs> He had severe stage fright, so thus he hired uh, they hired David Palmer to actually sing. So the vocalist you hear on this is not him, but it's David Palmer. So they hired a singer. Really? Well, I, maybe I think on the they album. Shared, yes. Yeah, they shared. This some is stuff. him on this. This is song. him on the album, but, but on David some other Palmer. Stuff, yes, um, co kind co, of co yeah. did some stuff with. Uh, and then Michael McDonald later in the seventies came in um, with them. Um, in two thousand twelve, he actually toured with Michael McDonald and Boz Skaggs and did his own stuff. Um, and he's still touring now. Yeah, there's a still- whole. I read an article with him. Uh, this was months ago, but he was talking about that. Basically, he was saying, 
I'm famous. <laughs> I shouldn't have to tour in my 70s. Yeah. But I do yeah. because Spotify is stealing all my money. Oh, okay. That's basically, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, I get it. I'm not getting paid for album sales anymore. Sure. And I should be. Yeah. I should be living off album sales, but instead I have to go on tour. Oh, man. Does this look pink to you? <laughs> I ordered pink. Caritons. Um On guitar, Jeff Skunk Baxter um, actually played with Steely Dan and the Doobie Brothers. Yeah. So he's a guitar player for both of them. He actually, my favorite Skunk Baxter story is he played bass in 66 on Hendrix's first lead band. Yes. The Jimmy and the Blue Flames. Yeah. So it was Jimi Hendrix on guitar, Skunk Baxter on bass, and uh, Randy California on uh, on drums. This is my, okay, I feel like <clears throat> Jeff Skunk Baxter, if you're at a computer right now, or even if you're on your phone, if you're not driving, Google Jeff Skunk Baxter and see if you agree with me. That there has never been a more appropriate nickname. I don't think he doesn't look like a skunk. No, it's just a great nickname. But he looks like a quote unquote skunk. Like he sure. looks like a dude whose nickname should be, should skunk. be skunk. Yeah, I don't know how good. to explain uh, it. It's well said. But it's perfect. My favorite sentence. I'm gonna. I, I know I'm encroaching on me. Roll the band it. Here, no, no, we're a team. My my favorite uh, sentence from his bio said. Uh, Baxter first reached a wide rock audience in 1968 as a member of the psychedelic rock band Ultimate Spinach. <laughs> <laughs> they do Popeye covers. No, but <laughs> that's awesome. Um, yeah, that's that's great. Uh, he played on all kinds of stuff. He did session session work with Clapton. I mean, we can just stop right there. If you're yeah. a guitar session guitar player Ta-da. for Clapton, you're good. Yeah, uh, Shell Crow, Brian Adams, Ringo Starr, Elton John, and of course Billy and the Beaters. And of course, who we talked about with our good friend Billy Absolutely. Vera. Billy Vera. Um, yeah. So I think that that Hendrix band's kind of cool. Yeah, that's very cool info. Hendrix actually gave Randy California the name that because there was two Randys in the band in another band that he was in. Okay, and he was like, "Yeah, you're just Randy California." So that's what he said. <laughs> Hendrix can call you whatever. Sure. Um, the other guitar player, a guy named Denny Diaz, um, responsible for the start of Steely Dan. He was um, pretty big in that. He posted the ad uh, looking for a keyboardist and a bassist with jazz chops. So, well, well meet Steely Dan. Yeah. So uh, he does the electric sitar solo on Do It Again. Okay. And now he's a computer programmer in L.A. So, All right. I Another smart guy. Another smart guy. You know, going back to going back to Jeff Baxter for a second, his second career has been as a missile defense consultant. Yeah, that's all. Like he, um, cool quote from him. Like he literally consults with the government on missile defense. He said we thought he said we we thought turntables were for playing records until rappers began to use them as instruments, and we thought airplanes were for carrying passengers until terrorists realized they could be used as missiles. Oh, wow. Uh, he said, my big thing is to look at existing technologies and try to see other ways they can be used. Oh, that's good. Which happens in music all the time and happens to be what terrorists are incredibly good at. I like that. So now he, in addition to being, you know, this amazing, legendary session guitar player, he consults with the government on missile defense. So weird. Finding Smart. different things to do different things. All Ter- these guys. Terry Kath wanted to make a... <laughs> yeah, wanted to make a blender... A blender into that a... Play gu- that can play guitar robot. Yeah, yeah. So maybe not as smart as yeah. Jeff Skunk Baxter. Different, different, uh, different strengths. <laughs> uh, on bass, uh, Walter Becker, who we mentioned, died in 2017 um, of esophageal cancer. Um, started on sax, but learned the bass um, from a guitar... Uh, learned the bass and guitar from his neighbor... A guy named Randy California. Oh. Randy Wolf, Neighbors, with good old Walter Becker. Wow. Different bands, Neighbors. So one And again, on. the connection probably being Jeff Baxter. Je- I would guess Skunk right? is the yeah. guy that brings them together. Hey, Dang. I, hey, uh, your neighbor plays bass. He likes jazz. What in the world? That's crazy. Yeah, small small world. My favorite, oh my goodness, I love this fact about, about him. It was in a band called Leather Canary, and this is only notable because guess who the drummer was? Chevy Chase. Yes. Yes. Clark Griswold himself. <laughs> Fletch himself. Oh, Chevy man. Chase on drums. Wow. Um, so pretty neat. And in keeping with the drum themes, we'll go right into drummers. Jim Hodder on drums. He know he knew none of the other band members before moving to L.A. to join with them. Uh, Sane Ling lead vocals on one of their songs called Dallas. He kind of sounds to me like... Jackson Brown meets Jim Croce, kind of that sound. It's just not quite as good, but that kind of <laughs> similar. Um, and after this album, you know, he shared studio work with a lot of other drummers for Steely Dan. Um, Jim Gordon and, of course, Jeff Recaro is probably the most. Sure, yeah. Um, Jim Gordon famously uh, from Batman. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, after Jim Hodder left Steely Dan, he went on to play on uh, 
Linda Ronstadt's You're No Good, and uh, Nine Ten Scale by Sammy Hagar. So that's hey. the, pretty much the band. I'd like to touch a little bit on the producers and the engineer on this because producers, a guy named Gary Katz, and I got a funny story on this, but he <laughs> is a, he produced all the Mamas and the Papa stuff, Steppenwolf, Three Dog Night, Jim Croce, Shaka Khan. Solid. All so, I mean, that's, that's solid. That's huge. Yeah. So I got this wild hair. I was like, this guy's probably reachable. So I sent Gary Katz an email and I was like, I guess I probably should have looked a little bit more into the bio section because about a minute or two after I sent it, I was like, let me research this. So Gary J. Katz, if you're out there listening, I know you're a woodworker in Southern California and you're not the same Gary Katz. (laughs) So forgive me for emailing you about this. But I'm glad we're big buddies now. And me and this other random Gary Katz have just started talking. So he does woodworking, and he is very thankful for those of you guys that want to look him up. I might have missed his middle initial, but he, uh, cool dude, nice guy. Uh, we laugh about this Did not this produce joke. Chaka Khan. Did not produce this, um, but uh, he, he's a really kind guy, and if you need some stuff, look him up. And uh, so that was, Need some woodworking. If you need some woodworking, look at all uh, Gary Katz online, and you'll find him. Uh, the <laughs> The, it, so what did you do? Did you just go to a website that I, said Gary Katz on it? And I just was clicked? just researching this producer, yeah, and somehow I ended up on this, and it was a contact thing, and I was like, <laughs> no way, this is way too easy to contact this guy. Yeah. How did I do this? So I was like, hey, me and my friend Rob, we do this podcast. <laughs> We're doing an episode on Steely Dan. Is there anything you'd like to contribute, maybe quote-wise or something? And I, I sent like, it. You want you to make a wood piece? Well, like this, a- this, this, so I sent it, <laughs> and then I was like, well, maybe I should look a little bit more about this history on this guy, especially if I'm going to ask, you know. So then I'm like, oh, crap. Wrong Gary Katz. So I immediately sent the retraction. Hey, okay. man, I'm so sorry. He's like, hey, no problem. You know, super nice about it. We Did you say he about gets it. that often? Like, he didn't he say he gets that often. He's like, he's like, what? He said something about that's what you get from the internet or something like right. that. Uh-huh. So it was just a, but anyway, good dude. Um, engineer, guy named Roger Nichols, uh, pioneered the technique of the digital drum replacement by inventing the Wendell sampling computer. Oh, wow. That's huge. That's a big deal. So, what you want to talk a little bit about You'd, what that is? You can probably do it better than me. Okay, so I digital can... digital drum replacement uh, is something that if you're outside the music industry, you probably would never even think of. Um, but in the last probably twenty years, this has become commonplace. Um, and it, it used to be that to get your drum sounds, um, you would spend hours and hours and hours, you know, getting. Everything about your drum sounds correct from the tuning of the heads on the drums to the mic placement to the room treatment and the the mics would, you know, controlling the amount of bleed from one mic into the next and all these little tiny intricate things. And those things are still done in good studios and big studios. But now what happens on a lot more records than you would realize is the original drum sounds that are recorded are not the drum sounds that you hear coming out of your radio. Um, they are replaced by digital samples, high quality, high resolution digital samples of a drummer who has, they're not synthesized. It's not a, it's not a, um, you know, it's, it's not like an 808 drum, drum sound uh, that is computerized in, in its formation. It's an actual drum sound that has been sampled with that high level of accuracy and, you know, cleanliness and that kind of stuff. And they turn those into, they get a drummer and he sits in a room for hours and hours and hours and hits a snare drum at this level of intensity. And then at this level of intensity, and then at this level of intensity, you know, so on and so forth. And then he, and then he gives a little like, you know, all these little sounds and they sample all those and they turn them into um, samples that are usable to be triggered by a keyboard or a, um, a, a trigger pad, mm-hmm. something like that. And you can, you can hit the, hit the key and depending on how hard you hit the key, it triggers a different sample sure. that is at a different intensity. Um, and it's, it's really amazing. And now there's uh, software, you know, digital recording software, editing software, can go through and interpret the drum sounds that are there 
and then replace it automatically with a digital sample of your choice. It helps provide dynamics um, in a way that it's like a, it, it helps with dynamics. Dynamics and and, and just great sounds. Sure. Like, and you know, there's companies sound. companies out there called like uh, That Sound. Uh, I think it's IWantThatSound.com. That's what they do. They just record amazing drummers with amazing drums and incredible samples for you to use in your, you know, in your home studio. You're mm-hmm. recording a project and really good sounding drums can take your project up a notch. So they provide those for you to use to replace the original uh, And that's drum the sounds. one instrument that it it's the most important to have under control. Yeah. Because it's so, it can, like you said, Absolutely. it can really sway it can, the, it can kind of make or break, mm-hmm. you know, a mix and, and, and can really add something like good, um, you know, like good drum sounds, okay drum sounds to great drum sounds can make a huge difference sure. in the way a song sounds. Absolutely. So that's a huge so thing. Good to job, be Roger Nichols. Good engineer. job, Roger Nichols. I thought that was pretty good. Shouts out. Two other, we touched a little bit on David Palmer, who sang with them and did some of that work. He Not also, to be confused with Robert Palmer. Correct. Simply Irresistible. Sure. Uh, yeah. Um, the He wrote Jazz Man for Carol King and Silhouette for Teen Wolf. But there's another, as Rob mentioned earlier, they began to just incorporate non-band members into their studio work. And I love this story. The guy that um, guy named Elliot Randall actually is the guy that played the guitar solo on this. On this, yeah. Really. Um, he stopped off from an invite from Skunk Baxter. He's just like, hey, you want to come play on this song? Man, Skunk is the linchpin. He is, man. He holds it all together. He's, Jeez. Yeah. I about said he's the Carlos Santana, but he's way better <laughs> than that in terms of bringing in. Um, he connects I all see. the pieces. Okay, I see what you're saying. No, yeah. he's, yeah. No, I don't. Don't mean, ever call me the Carlos Santana no, of anything. No, I, I won't. I promise. Um First time, the first time he ever met and hung out with Steely Dan, um, he was used as a studio musician with these guys. Yeah. Just come in there like, you want to come play gunk? Like, you want to come play the guitar solo? And he's like, okay. Yeah. And it's iconic. And it is. It is. Uh, it is. Well, go ahead and finish the band. Then we'll talk no, about that's the guitar it. That's, that's the Okay, so he's the last. Okay. I'll save that for last. So that's a great it. transition into this uh, because this guitar work is is kind of legendary. And so as Steely Dan started using more and more studio musicians, they would run into these things occasionally where like. We they had an idea what they wanted from a certain sound, a certain section. Um, and uh, and I've seen um, a, a thing on them recording. I think it was their Asia album um, where, you know, they the drummer they had wasn't quite getting the job done. So they, you know, they would call somebody else. And, and there was a guitar solo, I think, on Kid Charlemagne that was the same kind of thing. They go, we know kind of aesthetically what we want. But so far we don't have it. And so they just start calling guys one after another. Come in, take a crack at it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and this is where you can kind of really earn a reputation as a studio musician. If you can come in and nail something that somebody's looking for, but they can't really put their finger on, then all of a sudden you become one of their go to people. Yep. Um, so it's a way to make yourself really valuable if you can just come in and do that. And uh, so what Elliot Randall did, um, he said it, this is in a. Um, an interview with guitarist magazine in 2012. He said, they played the song for me once. The changes are not very complex. Then we took two passes. The first pass, which some of us to this day say was better, wasn't recorded. It was a run through. And we all went, Whoa. Then we looked at the assistant engineer who had turned ghostly white. And he said, Oh, sorry. I didn't press the button. Oh my God. We've talked we about, talked this, about this with Billy Vera. Yes. Like, or Martin, it was with Billy Vera. right? Yeah. I think, uh, or was it with Martin page? Somebody, forgive us guys that we don't remember which one, but we were talking with you guys about how always record, record your warm up track, record your, record it in case it's brilliant. Like you don't expect somebody to just come in and kill this guitar solo that you've had trouble getting on the first take, but by golly, Elliot Randall did it. You should have recorded it. You know what I mean? So, um, so he he said, uh, so my second pass was what you hear on the record. It was completely unedited. It was just from top to bottom all the way through and it worked. We all just laughed afterwards. So literally he just played over the whole song one time and that's what you hear. There was no, he didn't go back and overdub anything. Now the harmonies are overdubbed by Jeff Skunk Baxter. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, and so, uh, he talks a little bit about even how he got the sound. You know, I thought because this was so iconic, I did a little, I did a little work yeah, on, you the, look on the gear on the sound. Yeah. Cool. Um, because allegedly, by the way, this is Jimmy Page's favorite guitar solo. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Jimmy Page guitarist for Led Zeppelin legend. Uh, this is his, uh, this is attributed to him as being his favorite guitar solo. Um, but it's interesting how they got it. It was literally like this guy came in almost not even expecting to play. It's almost how this comes off. He said the only amplifier in the entire premises was an Ampeg SVT bass amp, 
which would have been the last thing I ever thought of to use. It had 400 watts and eight speakers. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to put it on volume one. Yeah, maybe. Right. Uh, and so Roger Nichols, the sound engineer, looked at me and we were like, mm-hmm. but we just shrugged our shoulders as pros would. And he said, right, OK, start playing. I'll keep my ears covered and find the sweet spot. And he did. The sound was basically the guitar, a cable, the amplifier and one AKG 414 microphone placed where Roger thought it sounded the best and hence the sound. But we really had to crank it up to 11. Holy cow. So literally, he's it's there's just stupid loud. Yeah, it's just it. stupid loud. And that's the distorted sound that you get. It's, you know, now most of the time, if you want distortion, you use a pedal. Sure. But back before distortion pedals were a big thing, you, it, you got that sound originally by overdriving an amp, by pushing it too much. And mm-hmm. it would crackle and give you that distorted sound. So this is literally an Ampeg uh, bass amp that is just wow. crank up that's to a cool. billion. And uh, and they just found the spot where it sounded best with a microphone. And um, and that's the you know, he ends up with this brilliant one pass, one take. That's all awesome. solo that becomes iconic. I like um, that. It's actually ranked in Guitar World magazine's top uh, solos of all time at number 40. The number 40 top guitar solo of all time sandwiched between uh, I'll give you the I'll give you the surrounding oh, few man. here. Okay? okay. I'm not we're not gonna do the top 40. But these are the to give you the the to put it in its to, category. To, yeah, in exactly. Its class. To put it in context of, of the, the give you a sense of you know where it is belonging in the in the annals of these. Uh, number 42 is Eric Clapton's solo on While My Guitar Gently Weeps Holy from the White Album. Number 41 is Brian May from Queen's Brighton Rock uh, from the album Sheer Heart Attack. Number 40 is Elliot Randall on Reeling in the Years. Uh, number 39 is Neil Young on Cortez the Killer from uh, the Neil Young and Crazy Horse album Zuma. And number 38 is Jimmy Page on Whole Lot of Love from Led Zeppelin 2. Wow. So, like, Those are rock stars around you're surrounded I mean, by Powerhouse. Know. Anytime you're above Clapton on any list, yeah. you're like, I beat him in something. Exactly. That's something to celebrate. Yeah. Um, so, you know, a pretty iconic guitar solo, um, and I think that's probably what we'll take you out with at the end of this episode. I gotta do one misheard lyric oh, absolutely. on the way out. So the chorus, which we could play a little sampling up, but my wife, I told her what song we're doing. She's like, oh, you're doing that Have You Had an Apple Pie song. I'm like, what? What? She thought it was, are you reeling in the cheese? But and, 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 not, She did wait, not. Wait, this is her, you're lying. No, this is the truth. She says, have you had an apple pie? She swore it was, have you had an apple pie? No. Listen to it and th- take no, a second, I- play the chorus and <laughs> think of those words. Think those words when you play it. I love you, babe. Listen to this. This is, have you had an apple pie? Even if it's just that one sentence, just play it and hear it in your head. It'll make sense. Have you had an apple pie? Have you had an apple pie, everyone? That's not a common misheard lyric, but I experienced oh it word. firsthand. So there you go. <laughs> you can send him out with a guitar solo. Oh, now you man. Want. You know what? I was going to talk about something, but now I don't know if I even can. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. I got to collect myself. I got to collect myself. That is hysterical. Man, that's funny. Jeez. <laughs> Kayla, thank you for that. <laughs> My day just got so much better. <sighs> okay. All right. All right. <laughs> Bringing it back down. Um, I, want, I want to talk just a little bit because we've kind of talked about um, their, their writing style is a little bit intentionally um, not vague. It's almost like so specific that it's hard to catch up to. It's like, it's sort of like Dennis Miller. You ever seen Dennis Miller do stand up? And he just does all these references. He's like really smart and really heady. And he's all the time, you know, hey, babe, like he's doing these. I can't really do Dennis Miller. I could if I had a script in front of me, but sure. it's not off the cuff. But he's like referencing stuff that like, why would you know that? You know what I'm saying? Sure. Um, and it's all over the place. And and so it, it almost makes him hard to follow. Um, that's kind of how Steely Dan's lyrics are. It's like. There's a lot of literary references and just obscure, you know, things or things that are sort of veiled or obfuscated. And um, and so, you know, you, you kind of have to dig a little bit to get to the meaning of their songs or something that you might assume it's about isn't necessarily what it's about. Um, but this song is kind of about as straightforward as it gets with them message wise. You know, it's a breakup song. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 
Now, the way they get to it is really clever and really creative, but maybe that's why, maybe it's a little too simple for them. Maybe, yeah, maybe that's why it's their that, least favorite. Right. Like, like, what would he say? It's so, what he uh, said, it's dumb but effective. <laughs> dumb but effective. So maybe in their eyes, you know, this wasn't, this didn't quite live up to some of their lyrical work or something. Um, but uh, it's, it's basically the theme of the song is, I can't believe you're breaking up with me. Mm-hmm. Like, that's basically, you know, um, but we don't really get there until the last verse. Like, we don't discover until the last line of the last verse that this is a breakup song. And probably because it feels so happy. Yeah. Like, it's a happy feeling breakup song. Absolutely. Um, and I love how the next to last line of the verses sets you up for a reveal in the last line. Like it's the next to last line of the verse, you know, well, the weekend at the college didn't turn out like you planned, sets you up for things you things that pass for knowledge. I can't understand. Mm-hmm. Like That's a great punchline that gets mm-hmm. set up by the line before. You wouldn't know a diamond if you held it in your hand. Things you think are precious. I can't understand. Yeah. And so and then all that leads to the very last um, you know, the very last lines of the last verse, uh, which is after all of the after all the things we've done and said, you find another man, the things you think are useless. I can't understand. So obviously a girl has moved on, mm-hmm. um, you know, from from this guy. And he's like, what the heck, bro? You know, yeah. what I mean, like uh, that's kind of what, you know, this is like shrug shoulders like why? You know, that's basically basically what we're talking about here. Uh, with reeling in the is years. it because I'm too smart? Is it because I'm too smart? Have you had an apple pie? <laughs> have you had an apple pie? I mean, should we talk about this? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, let's sit we... down. Let's have an apple pie. Yeah, and let's talk about. Let's it. discuss this over dinner. I'll play you a killer guitar solo. That's right. And let's you know. I can't, but I'm gonna call my friend. Yeah. Actually, some guy I don't know just walked in. I'm gonna have yeah. him just come you, in and play this solo. Can you? Just, I got a bass amp over here. I'll give. <laughs> listen, I'll give you an apple pie. If you just come in. <laughs> Take a whack at this guitar solo for me. We're just going to turn it up real loud. Yeah. Just turn it And we'll, you know, we'll just see what comes out. Um, and who knows? You could end up better than Clapton. Uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Great Song Podcast. I'm Rob Alley. I am JP Mosher. Thanks for listening wherever you are. Uh, iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher. Spread the word. If you love the show, tell somebody else about it. And uh, let's get some more folks in on this love fest of ours. Thanks to everybody for listening. I'm Rob. I'm JP. Go listen to some music. <laughs>